All right, if you would be turning your Bible to 1 John, we'll be in 1 John 1, uh, verses 5 through 9 this morning as we continue our sermon series on worship. Uh, and it's important for us to keep before us that one of the key things that we are seeking to understand is that Lord's Day Sabbath worship is a blessed necessity. Uh, for too many of us, uh, because, and we come by it honest, we see things through a commodified lens. We see things as uh, you can take it or leave it. And, and because we don't necessarily feel anything, God doesn't necessarily strike you dead. I don't know, you wouldn't be here if God struck you dead for skipping a worship service. Uh, but it, it's not like there's an immediate consequence, right? Now, woe be unto us if we were to demand immediate consequences for sin in order for us to take sin seriously. That would be the height of arrogance and foolishness, right? But woe be unto us if we can't see the ongoing long-term effects that it has on us for us to not take sin seriously, for us to not recognize the forgiveness that we have in Christ, and by virtue of that, to seek to long to be with him. This isn't just about bare duty and obedience. This is about love, which is relational. Uh, and that's very important for us to remember uh, as we talk about worship. But as you have turned there, let me give you the key truth. The key truth is that Lord's Day Sabbath worship provides us an opportunity to confess our sins and be assured of our pardon in Christ. Let me say that again. Lord's Day Sabbath worship provides us an opportunity to confess our sins and be assured of our pardon in Christ. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is 1 John 1, 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, uh, as we step into this, remember that some of the things that we've been hearing is that we ought to come to worship with expectation, with hope and joy and be able to sing his praises because of who he is and what he has done for us in and through the person work of Christ, as well as, and don't forget this, the ongoing indwelling and ministry of the Holy Spirit. In addition to God just being God to us, providing, protecting, and loving us, Worship is not about uh, uh, us getting what we want. Worship is about ascribing to God his glory and his worth, which ultimately is the thing that benefits us the most. Now, if you're, you may not be convinced of that, but part of the problem is you have to ask why. Why am I not convinced of that? And is it because you don't feel anything? And if that's going to be the litmus test, why, did, why do you let your children live? Why do you stay married? Right? You can't tell me that it's bliss all the time or that you even feel anything sometimes. Right? It's the covenant that holds. It's the commitment that was made. It's something greater than our feelings. And can our feelings be trusted? How many times have you been sure of something? Now, some of y'all have never been wrong, so this, is going to be a, a, this question doesn't apply to you. <laughs> 
Now, how many times have you been sure of something only to find out you were not just kind of wrong, completely wrong? I can't tell you how many statements I've heard that were made in the definitive that have come from my own mouth only for that to not come true, right? Uh, think about uh, this baseball season. The Braves looked like they were primed for repeating, right? And they just, they got wrecked by, and this is baseball, by a Phillies club who got hot at the right time. The Dodgers, they're complete garbage. But they won like 150 games or something, right? Tommy, is it, did I get that right? Uh, and so it's interesting, like, all these prognostications we can make by looking at something, but where do we go back and say, you know what, and tell everybody that we told one thing, where do we go back and make sure they all know I, I was wrong? We don't. We don't make atonement for that. We don't go and make sure everybody knows that we've been wrong about election results and about states included in the union and the republic at this point and all kind of stuff, right? We've just been wrong. And you may say, but yeah, I'm not, it still could happen. Well, sure. I mean, the scheme of things. But we have this fear of being wrong, so much so that we struggle to confess it. And so confession of sin is something that uh, over the years people have often asked, why do we do that? Or they'll say, I'm not guilty of that stuff. The stuff that we read about, which is one of the reasons we started including the time for silent, you can confess your own stuff silently. But it's important that we recognize who it is really for right? It's for us to remain humble. It's for us to remember what Christ has done for us. That's why we confess our sins. And uh, this is not the passage we're looking at this morning, but James 5 tells us very specifically, confess your sins to one another. Why? Well, that helps keep us humble. And the other impact that it has is to help other people who think they sit in darkness recognize they are not alone. How many times do you, you yourself think, I'm the only one struggling with this? I'm the only parent that struggled with this. I'm the only spouse who struggled with this. I'm the only single person who struggled with this. I'm the only coworker who struggled with this. I'm the only student that has struggled with this. And yet, you will discover you have quite the community around you that has struggled with the same things and maybe further along than you can help you, but most importantly, can encourage you to look to Jesus, where mercy comes from him alone. And so, what do you fear most about confessing things to other people? What is it that you are so afraid of to say, I was wrong? Has anybody ever died saying that? Or has anybody said that? Let's start there. Have you ever admitted to being wrong? And so it's important that we recognize that there is something that prohibits us from one of the great gifts of knowing who and whose we are. We are limited. We are still sinful people. It says so even here in John. We are still mixed of saints sinner. Though we are perfected in Christ before the very throne of God in this world, we are still broken and in need. And so this helps keep that posture of humility that we've talked about in a previous sermon in the series that is so, so important to worship. You cannot worship in arrogance. You just can't do it. You can't worship in anger. You just can't. It's one of the reasons why we say... That our, if, you, if there's some part of our worship that makes you just angry and you leave every week angry, please find somewhere that you won't experience that because it will destroy you. Um, and, and you don't need to, to, to stay and be a martyr, right? Um, it doesn't mean you have to like everything. It doesn't mean you have to like every song or every sermon. But if it is leaving you such that you are cold week in and week out, please, please find somewhere 
that will ignite the fire of the Holy Spirit in you and cause you to worship in spirit and in truth and take joy in what God has done for you. I would not want you to be robbed of that just so I could have a seat filled here, right? And so uh, as we step into this text, we need to understand that John was unique in how he talked about light. It's one of the things, it's a motif that he uses that is unique among the Gospels And he uses it all throughout all of his writings, and it's very important for us to understand what he means when he's using that term. And so even before we step into our text, I'm going to take us to another text real quick to give us the framework, and then we'll come back to 1 John. So if you would, turn to John 1. I'm not going to preach John 1, but we need this to understand what 1 John is telling us. So pay attention, if you would, to the places where the word light is used and what it's a referent to. I'll begin in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word of God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law that was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is, the fa- who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So what does it mean when John uses this term light? What does he mean? Well, what he means uh, is that it is life. And it is life more abundant, but more important than that is it, it is essentially God's character. It is, it is what grants us the ability to bear the image of God. And so it is a display of God's character. When, it, when John's going to tell us in just a moment that we are to walk in the light, that's what he means. He means that you are to display God's character, his righteousness in this world for the life of the world. It's not for you. It's not for you to be uh, exalted. It is not for you to be made much of. It is so that God would be made much of, whom Christ has displayed, helped the world to see, not just by taking on flesh, but living out the life that he lived out. That's the difference, right? And so that's very important for us to understand as we talk about what John's going to tell us about in 1 John. So if you would, give your attention to the reading of God's word. This is 1 John 1, 5 through 9. Again, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let me pause here. So there's really two things that John is trying to accomplish in these four verses. He's trying to get us to understand that God is sovereign, that God is Lord, right? And that he is the one who determines who we are to be. And it is, it is in our orientation to him that we are to know who we are, right? And the other thing he's going to tell us is that we are sinful and in need of a savior. So those two things are critical, that God is Lord and he determines because he's the creator all things, and that we are sinful and in need of a savior so as not to become arrogant and think more of ourselves than we ought. And so when it says that, uh, that God is light, that means that God is life, God is holy, God is righteousness, right? And so uh, again and again, we've said here that if you want to understand God's character, what verse should you turn to? According to the first lady, it's Exodus 34, 6, and 7. You'd think I'd just say that around the house a whole bunch or something. I kind of do, actually. Uh, and so it would be beneficial to us. Let's go look at that so that we understand when we are called to walk in the light, we are called to display the character of God, which worship is to help us to do. Uh, this is what we should look like. Now, you remember the scene. Moses is uh, receiving the, the, the Ten Commandments for the second time because he broke the first group because he discovered there was a giant party, uh, debaucherous party happening uh, at the base of the mountain. And so he broke the tablets of the law and he had to receive two more. And now God is going to come to Moses and Moses will experience uh, his presence, his holiness. Listen to what God says as he passes before him. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, we would do well to kind of step into these characteristics and ask some questions of ourselves who bear his image. And these are diagnostic questions. These would be a, a great, this passage would be great for you to use when you examine yourself, when you are looking to confess sin or you're, you're looking to just say, am I walking in the light? Because that's just, that's kind of an abstract question if you don't have something you can hold on to, right? Like, am I walking in the light? I, what does that even mean? Right? And so this will help us. So the first thing we see is that God is merciful and gracious. Is that true of you? So his mercy is the forgiveness of sins and the ways in which he engages with and disciplines us. Sometimes it's a severe mercy. But it is merciful for him to, to not let sin go. Now, his judgment, one of the most merciful things he's done for us is that his judgment fell on Christ and Christ alone. Uh, for those who are his people. And so are you merciful? Are, are you merciful to those of you who have children? Are you merciful to your children? Are you merciful to your neighbors? Are you, are, you, are you merciful to those who wrong you, those who cut you off on the freeway? Do you pray for them in their lineage or do you call for their destruction? You may say, well, that's the most just thing that could happen to them because they don't know how to drive. No, that's not true. Are you gracious? And to be gracious is to grant someone what they didn't earn and what they didn't deserve. Do you, do you ever surprise someone because you thought about them with something that they 
there was no cause to give it to them. That'd be one way. Are, are you gracious in, in terms of being generous with your words? Do you seek to edify and encourage when there's not necessarily a direct cause to? Well, the Lord does. This is the way in which he is merciful and gracious. Here's, here's a good one. Are you slow to anger? Because the Lord is. Like all those places you read in the Old Testament where his anger finally boils over, it's very important to try to calculate how many years had he been crying out to the people in and through his prophets, in and through his priests, in and through his word, in and through his worship before he stepped in. He is slow, and I, I, I can tell you, he is slow to anger. And if we wanted him to be swift to anger, we need to understand we're not sovereign, we're not Lord. That same, that same weight would have to fall back on us. Are you slow to anger? Because this is one of the ways in which you walk in the light, right? Uh, are you abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness? And I know abounding is a big term and abounding can be a scary word, but remember that, that Christ came to give us life or light or the righteousness of God more abundant, right? So we, we sometimes hear life more abundant and we think, oh, more steak, more chicken wings, more, uh, more money, no, life more abundant is a greater display of God's character in the world for the life of the world, for your joy, for his glory, right? And if you didn't, you didn't know that was the abundant life, we'll, we'll now know that it, it has to do with you being overflowing in the characteristics of God, not for your sake, but for the sake of those in your spheres of influence for others. Are you, are you abounding in faithfulness? Meaning that you, you are about God's promises, that you, you, are, you keep the vows that you made, you keep the covenants that you have made, that you show up even when you don't feel like it. You know, that's faithfulness sometimes is actually showing up when you don't feel like it. And a lot of times I get it. That's why feeling can't be the arbiter, right? And then, and then are you keeping steadfast love for thousands? I know that's a lot. But are we, are we longing to be hospitable to a fallen world? Do we recognize that sinners do what they do because their minds are darkened? You can scream till you're blue in the face about reason and logic, which, by the way, if somebody looked at your life, could maybe make some observations about your reason and your logic that would be interesting. But you can scream till you're blue in the face that people have a knowledge problem. They don't. They have a heart problem. And, and just as I've quoted her many times, she still maintains this, I know the truth and I do not care. What are you going to do with that? If, the heart, if that child's heart doesn't change, if your heart on issues like that doesn't change, no reason, no logic, no amount of truth in the world is going to change you. And what people need is redemption. And so we need to be a people who are about that, forgiving iniquity. And I love the way that, that God, just in case we had a different word, iniquity, transgression, or sin, they all mean the same thing, but just in case you thought there was a more technical term, he covered them all. And then, he, and then this is important. Are, are you also just as he is just? Do you seek justice as God seeks justice? Because if you remember from, we've preached on this before, when it says that it visits the sins of the father and the children to the third and the fourth generation, that's not punitive. You need to read Ezekiel 18 and 32 to recognize God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, nor does he actually make the children sin. What he essentially is doing is through his justice, bringing reconciliation so that sin just doesn't go on forever in given circumstances. Praise God. 
Are you looking through the just work that you do to bring true reconciliation so that generation after generation doesn't suffer? This is God's character. This is what we are to be displaying in the world in all of its beauty and all of its diversity, right? And all the ways in which he has made us, worship is to form us in this way. And so it's critical that we confess first who God is before we ever get into what we've done wrong. And then to orient ourselves around him, his sovereignty, his light. We are to walk with him. As John tells us, if you say that you walk with God and yet you continue to walk in darkness, meaning you don't take seriously the fact that you're not displaying any of his character. That's not even an issue of, of sin straight away. He's saying if, if you have no concern with displaying God's character, if you're not thinking through uh, who you are and who you are being shaped to be in and through the personal work of Christ, remember, sanctification is us being formed into the image of Christ. This is why we can say, look to Jesus. This is why Paul calls us, as we talked about last week, look to the right hand of the Father. Look at the personal work of Christ. And so it's very important that we orient ourselves that way first. This is why in our worship service, we orient ourselves around God the Father with that first section. So it is the Lord who calls us to worship, right? It's, it's, it's the Lord's, God's word that says, people of God, gather. And then we, we respond, uh, we have a response to his, to let him know we are here, O Lord. And then we pray, and then we sing a song, and if you've noticed, Jesus doesn't show up in that first song unless Josh or somebody sneaks him in there. Uh, and, so, uh, and so really, it's to help us to remember, it is God the Father who has sought to redeem us. We're not being saved from him. Uh, we're being saved to him in and through his love. And we do all that. We've done all that before we ever utter word one about sin. How beautiful is it that we get to do that? We don't have to rush to what we, we've done wrong or ways in which we are broken. And so how might that change how we interact with each other? Think about how we uh, uh, deal with each other. Oftentimes it is we think the worst first. Right? I, can't, I can't tell you, especially as a, it's a bad time to be a, a white male leader uh, in, in this world. It just is. I'm not complaining about that. It just is. Right. So every report against me uh, uh, not every, that's hyperbole. I'm being, I'm being a little bit uh, silly about that. But many reports against me are automatically going to get run through the grid. That's exactly what I expected. He's in leadership and they're all corrupt. Right? I mean, it's just, just the, kind of the nature of things. Um, and so, so oftentimes I don't get the benefit of the doubt. And many times with, with, with you all, if I'm not careful, knowing something you've done in the past, I can hear something and, and run it through the grid of what you've done in the past instead of what God may be doing in your present. And so, so this is critical for us to orient ourselves first around who God is and who we are to be in reference to him. And then he goes on to say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth, it is not in us. So think of this. He's, it, it's kind of counterbalancing. Yes, you are in the light. Yes, you have been redeemed. Yes, it is through the blood of Christ that we are able to gather together. That, notice that in the passage just before that, we walk in the light as in the light. We have fellowship with one another. One of the great gifts that we have in being in God is that we now have this extended family. Yeah, you got some crazy uncles and aunts and weird nephews. I get it. And even some weird 
siblings and, and, and parents. But what a gift it is that, that those things don't have the final say, that we can, can see the great work that the Lord is doing in and through us and the power of the Holy Spirit that we get to be witness to how the glory of God is being displayed in one another. And we get to encourage each other in that. We are so radically individualistic. Rarely do we check on each other in this way. Rarely do we confess our sins to one another because we don't trust each other. Right? Um, and, and how often are we, uh, whether we're on social media or not, just living some curated life? We've been, so before social media ever became a thing, we were living the curated life through our failure to confess our sins to one another. We've been, we taught the kids how to do it. Um, and, so, and so it's important that we recognize uh, that we, we still need God. Though we are in the light, we cannot in arrogance think that we, we have ceased to need Jesus. No, that goes on. And so it's important, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, it's very important that we recognize you don't, you don't, you're not re-upping your salvation every time you confess sin. Right? No, you, you are saved. That is, you are sealed in Christ. Your life has been perfected and hidden with Christ on high. Be assured of your pardon. However, uh, this is important to keep us humble, that we confess and are reminded and renewed in our understanding of forgiveness and being cleansed and made righteous. Right? Because we forget, don't we? How many times does the devil whisper low? Uh, and, and, and seeks to, to, to ensnare you in shame and guilt and, and tell you yet again that you are unworthy, you continue to fail, you've yet to change, um, you've bought all the books on habit that you can, you've listened to every podcast and you still, still are struggling and the Lord just wants you to know, wants to remind you that that, that will not always be true. It may be true for between the now and the not yet, but it will not be true in the not yet. You will be perfected as you currently are before the throne. So confession is not doing anything uh, um, in the sense of re-atoning or re-crucifying Christ. That goes against the scripture. But, but it helps us because Jesus continues in his faithfulness to remind us of who we are, to make intercession, to advocate for us before the throne of God. And he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So it, it is crucial for us as God's people, that we be reminded of, of God's love for us, of the fact that he is Lord, he has determined how we are to live and, and how it is that we are to go about life because he is life, he is the light. And we should long to live in the way that Christ lived while he was on this earth, displaying God's character. We should wanna live in the way that we were created because as we talked about last week, to live in a way in which you were not created has its own consequences ever before judgment falls on you, right? Your, your own conscience, your own, the own, your own consequences of, of, of disappointing the people around you, that comes before God's judgment comes. God's judgment is much more patient and long-suffering and coming. And so this is why week in and week out, we have a confession of sin. We have an assurance of pardon because be honest, how many of you have a designated time in your week that's not worship where you confess sin and make sure that you are reminded of who you are in Christ? How many? None of you do the prayer of examine at night? Well, all right. See, this is why we want to make sure, we want to make sure that we as God's people have this. 
If you do it on your own, that's fantastic. That's great. Uh, you you, you want to keep a, a shorter set of accounts throughout the week, that's fantastic. But know that most people aren't doing that. And so we need to gather together to do that and be able to look around and be reminded of the, just the beauty of God's love. This is why we, when we have sinned, we should not remove ourselves from the body of God. If there's one thing that I could, I, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir right now because you're here. But so often when people find themselves entangled in sin, one of the first things they do is run from the people of God. That's the worst possible thing you can do. But this is where we've got to work on our side of it in, in, and recognize it is an aspect of hospitality that we would work very hard, very hard with those who have sinned to walk with them, to be patient with them, to remind them of who and whose they are. And if they claim Christ, to remind them of their assurance of pardon, even though they may not feel it at the time, they may feel like they're coming unchained from the universe itself. This is critical. But the first move everybody makes, it seems, is they run from instead of to because of their shame, because of their guilt. And there's all kinds of ways in which that, that plays itself out, right? We do it in our grief as well, which is interesting. And so this is where we, we want to be committed to, at least on, all we can do is, is carry our part, is to make sure that when we know there's someone in our midst who has made a terrible mistake, whether it's in their marriage or their job or their life, or think about this for our high school students, think about this for our middle school students, our college students, you don't think they're going to make a few mistakes for which they will be ashamed to show their faces among us? What could we do as, as, as the people of God to better display this beautiful truth and reality so that they would not sit in darkness? I love the way in, in Isaiah between 7 and 9 where he says, you who sit in darkness, come out. You who sit in darkness, come out. What if we were a community of people where that was just the ringing bell for us? That we would say, you who sit in darkness, come out. You who sit in the darkness uh, of, of your bad ideas and, and your, your bad hope for the future, come out. You who have ruined your marriage, who sit in the ash heap of that darkness, come out. You who have made a terrible mistake in your body or trying to change your body, you who sit in darkness, come out. You, you who think you can define who you are instead of sitting in that darkness, come out. But in order for them to come out, they have, have to already have experienced and seen we are a people of light, that we are a people who display the, the kind of characteristics. Like take that Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The next time you have somebody uh, that tells you the Old Testament God is just a God of anger, you would love them well to say, well, okay, I can understand why you would say that, but can I show you a passage where God defines himself that may help with that. And then just ask them, would, if, if this were true of somebody, these characteristics were true of somebody, would you not want to be their friend? Would you not want them to love you? And be, a, especially if they were the most powerful being in the universe, right? And so this is the kind of people that we, we long to be. And part of that is our weekly humbling of ourselves and, and reminding ourselves of the creator-creature distinction confession of our sin, and the assurance of our pardon. It's been interesting. We at the office have been trying to figure out how to get you all to say amen. And uh, 
uh, especially since it's the assurance of pardon. I get it if I'm like, hey, amen, and you guys are like waking up. You're like, well, I don't know what I'm amen into. I just I didn't hear that last 40 sentences you just strung together with, you know, commas and semicolons and stuff. Uh, I get that. But to the assurance of pardon, we've just confessed our sins together. We, 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 we have heard that, that we are beloved in Christ and we're struggling to say amen. I don't take shape notes or a bouncing ball, right? It's just one word. And we've gone round and round like, well, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not, a, it's not clear on the slide. And all, you know, we, but we've actually gone at it the wrong way, so forgive us. We have actually treated it as if what you had was uh, some sort of functional problem or, or grammar issue or, or sight issue, something. Instead of praying for you instead to, to say amen because you so richly and robustly understand what Christ has done for you. And the same for us. We, we, we were guilty of trying to fix the problem in a way that we can't fix it. I, can't, I, I can make you say amen maybe some kind of way. We could, you know, put electrical charges in all the seats and kind of hit it at the right time. But that's not the heart, is it? And so this is, we, we want to be a people whose hearts cry out amen with great joy because of this gift. And listen to what Rory Nolan says in his book, Transforming Worship. Uh, he says, practicing self-examination with God's love as the starting point, making, and notice that, we start with God's love, not our sin, Right? So what if we did the confession of sin when you came? Like that, that's the first thing in the worship service. How would that shape us? What would that orient us around? So many of you would be like, I don't know. I don't even get here that early. Uh, but, but if that was the first thing that we did, it would be to orient us around our sin first. So I love what he says, and I love the way that our service is structured. We practice self-examination with God's love as the starting point, making confession in the context of a loving community and receiving divine absolution or the assurance of our pardon combined to make repentance and worship a healing and restorative grace of God that sets us free from the burden of guilt and shame. Did you hear that? That repentance in the context of worship ought to be a healing and restorative grace of God that sets us free from the burden of guilt and shame. This is why we do it week in and week out and give us this opportunity. So, who is the confessing of your sins for? Is God up there wearing one of those little green visors and he's got the little armband and he's like ringing up and he's like wondering like, Robbie, you better confess it, otherwise it's going against your account. <laughs> uh, no, that's not what he's doing. It's for us, it's for our hearts. The confession of sin, it, that accounting, as far as heaven is concerned, has been dealt with in Christ in full. Like we're going to have a baptism in the second service. That, you want to improve upon your baptism, work on that idea. And recognize you get to confess so that your heart is continued to be tendered to and grateful for what Christ has done. We don't confess to wallow. We don't confess to wound. We don't confess in order to, to just uh, um, have this just psychological vomit session. No, it is to grow in gratitude and be further change, transformed into the image of God, right? And then what helps you to feel assured of your pardon in Christ? That's worth thinking about. It's something we all wrestle with. If you have never asked, am I saved? That's a gift. That's wonderful. Praise God. I hope it's true. There are many days. Even I, in my church office, with, surrounded by the best of, of theology books, can sometimes find myself saying, is any of this true? 
And am I really saved? And the answer continues to be because of the assurance of pardon, amen and yes. Or yes and amen, however you want to do that. And so 1 John 1, 5 through 9 teaches us that the Lord's Day Sabbath worship provides us the opportunity to confess our sins and be assured of our pardon in Christ. And not just as individuals, but together. Notice what it said in Hebrews 3, which was our assurance of pardon. We are to make sure that the people around us, I know what you're thinking, I've got enough trouble just keeping it with myself. Well, this is the beauty of the confession of sin. You don't have to worry about, you don't have to spend a bunch of energy on your sin. You Confess it, be assured of your pardon, and now turn and make sure your neighbor can do the same. Make sure that they are not languishing under the weight of shame and guilt. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you um, have provided Christ for us. That we are able to walk in the light as you are light and, and display your holiness, your righteousness, your character in this world because Christ has granted it to us. And that we have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit who guides us and convicts us and helps us to display these things in and through the fruit of the Spirit and through the fruits, plural, of repentance. God, would you help us grow more bold in the confession of our sin because of the greater boldness for which Christ died for us? Would you help us to not wallow or wound or seek to be somehow magnified by our brokenness? That's, that's a foolish notion but instead that we would be magnified in Christ, that we would be healed and binded up in Christ. And God, would you, you help us to be assured of who and whose we are? Help us to remember that you are sovereign and you are Lord, and if you have spoken a word of forgiveness over us, that cannot be undone. May we live in light of that. Help us also to grow in hospitality toward those who don't yet believe any of that or are struggling to believe that. Help us to be more sensitive in the power of the Spirit to those around us. Help us be quick with a word of edification and encouragement. God, help us to have Exodus 34, 6 and 7 fast upon our tongues for the life of the world. And more importantly, displayed in and through who we are for the life of the world, your glory and our joy. In Christ's name, amen.